If you like what you're listening to, support this podcast on Patreon. Patreon.com, search Phil Dawson, or find a link in the show notes and join up. It's very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Pintro was crowded with revelers and that the journey would leave Radipi incapacitated. Urza strode out of the between worlds near the orchard where Zancha had battled the Phyrexian priest. Other than birds and insects, there were no witnesses to the trio's arrival. Few signs of the previous year's skirmish remained. Trees still sported scorched and unproductive branches and there was a gap in the geometric rows where a broken tree had been removed. Radipi was stunned and shivering. Urza knelt beside him, healing him with warm, radiant hands and saying nothing about the small fortune in gold hung around his neck. You'll be careful getting over the walls, Urza said to Zancho while Radipi finished his recovery. Of course, she replied, irritable because she was suddenly anxious about entering the city. Neither of them had asked her if she wanted to watch the spider scream from the plaza of Avahir's great temple not far from the catacomb where she'd encountered Gix. Zancha knew she'd have lied even if they had. She'd never told Urza about the demon before, and events had moved too swiftly since Narjabul to tell him now. Besides, she hadn't expected to be anxious. If the demon had wanted to find her, he could have found her. Phyrexian demons were many terrible things, but they weren't shape-changers the way Urza was. If Gix hadn't pursued Zancha to any of the out-of-the-way places she'd been since their encounter, she didn't expect to see him simply appear in the middle of Pincher City's crowded plaza. You'll need these. Urza offered her two lumps of milk-white wax. She hesitated before taking them and asked the question, Why? with her eyes. You're vulnerable, and the armor might not be enough protection. Plug your ears first. You'll know when, and you'll have time. Don't fret about it. He must think the spiders themselves were what made her jumpy, and he might have been right if it weren't for Gix. I won't worry. She lied and tucked the wax in the hem of her sleeve. Then she asked the question she'd been avoiding. Afterward, should I break the crystal? She still had the one given her for an archibald. I'll find you. Zancha dipped her chin. After three thousand years, it would end without even a goodbye. She could see Kayla frowning in her mind's eye. The antiquity wars should have prepared her for this. Urza walked away. She and Radipi waited silently for sundown. Their lives were unraveling, pulled apart between the past and future. Zancha wanted to hold the present tight. His past year with Radipi was as close as she had ever come to forgetting that she hadn't been born. She sensed that once the present became the past, regardless of whatever lay in the future, these moments wouldn't be recaptured. But when Zancha looked at Radipi, staring northwest toward the city of his past and future, she had nothing to say to him till the sky darkened and the first stars had appeared. It's time, she said. They sat together as Zancha recited her mnemonic and the sphere formed around them. Country folk who didn't want to pay for a room within the city had pitched tents in the fields and fairgrounds beyond the walls. Between the smoke from their cook fires and a scattering of clouds overhead, Zanja had no trouble getting them over the walls and above the southeast quarter of the city. Radipi said he knew the area and provided directions to a quiet street in the long-abandoned courtyard of a burnt-out house. You lived here, 
Zancha asked when the sphere had collapsed. He pointed at a gaping second-story window. Last I saw, it was burning. My mother was yelling at my father, telling him to carry me and forget about his precious books. Did he? Yes. Radipi put his arm on a charred door. It opened part way, then struck a fallen roof beam. We weren't poor. I'd have thought that by now someone would have taken advantage of our misfortune. Sancha took his hand, tugging him toward the alley that led back to the street. Remember how you said everything was smaller since Urza's war? Everything's even smaller in Pincher City. She and Urza weren't the only ones letting go of their pasts. Zancha could almost hear Radipi's disillusionment as they made their way to the wide plaza between the royal palace and Alvahir's temple. There were as many empty houses as occupied ones, and those that were inhabited had shuttered windows. Despite the summer humidity, their doors were strapped with iron. Radipi didn't see anyone he might have recognized because they didn't see anyone at all. The sounds of the festival came filtered over the rooftops along with the faint scent of sleepers, but the neighborhoods were locked tight. When they got to the great plaza between Tabarna's palace and Avahir's temple, they understood why, and saw why so many festival-goers had chosen to pitch tents outside the city walls. The crowd was sullen and mean-spirited, looking for fights and, by the sounds of it, finding them with each other. Most of them were dressed as Radipi and Zancha were dressed in the nondescript garments of the countryside. The few women whom Zancha could see didn't appear to be anyone's wife, mother, daughter, or sister, not quite the family gathering Radipi had promised. He didn't say a word when the crowd surged and parted, giving them a glimpse of eight grim-faced men coming through a palace gate headed for Avahir's temple. The men were uniformed in black-dyed leather and chain mail, except for their sleeveless surcoats, which bore a broad red stripe above the hem. Two of them carried torches that could double as pole arms. The other six carried short halberds, wicked weapons, with a crescent axe facing one direction and a sharpened gut hook going the other way. Zancha knew the kind of damage such weapons could do against a mostly unarmored mob. She hoped she wasn't going to witness it again. The crowd reformed in the red-stripe wake, watchful and not quite silent. Someone muttered fighting words, but not loud enough for red-stripe ears. That would come later. Zancha figured her hopes were futile. Both sides wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than bloodshed. I, I, I don't know what's happened, Radipi stammered. Sleepers? He wanted an affirmative answer, which Zancha couldn't give. There was oil in the air, the smell faint, and mostly coming from the temple or the palace, both still secure within their separate walls. We happened, Zancha replied, as grim as the red-striped faces. We made sure the truth got out, didn't we? These are all your folk, Radipi, ordinary effins, the ones who got caught up with the red stripes and the ones who didn't. Now everybody's got a grudge. Screaming spiders and Phyrexians would just get in the way. I was afraid of what would happen if we just took out the red stripes and the Phyrexians, but this is worse than I imagined it could ever be, Radipi said. His hand rested momentarily on her shoulder, then fell away. Closer to the temple, the plaza erupted in shouts and screams. Radipi succumbed to gawking curiosity as he eased past Zancha for a better look at the skirmish. She grabbed his arm and rocked him back on his heels. Unless you know a better place with food and beds, she snapped, I say we go ground in your family's old courtyard. They were traveling light on everything but gold. This will be calmer come daylight, or the whole city could be in flames, she added. Without much confidence, Radipi said that the better inns were on the western side of the plaza. Zancha, who hadn't eaten since the previous night in Narjabul, was game, though she had to grab Radipi's arm again to keep him from striking off through the middle of the plaza. Forget you ever knew this place, all right? Pay attention to what you see, not what you remember, she advised as they headed north toward the sea and the palace.
They were on the cobblestones near the Red Stripe barracks doing their best not to attract attention when the temple gongs rang out. This time, Zancha expected the worst and would have bolted for any shadow large enough to contain the sphere if Radipi hadn't held her back. There's a procession every night, he said. That's what everyone's here for, what they're supposed to be here for. The high priests march the book around and put it on the dais until midnight. Zancha noticed the hulking, white-draped platform in the middle of the plaza for the first time. Every night? she asked, thinking of tomorrow night when the spiders would scream. Radipi nodded. She nodded, too, seeing the heart of his requests. You've been thinking about this from the moment Urza started talking about exposing the sleepers with the glimmer moon. So why, exactly, put shatter spiders on the altar? Because the book won't be there when the altar's destroyed. I figured it would shame the Shrada, whatever's left of them, and I wanted the Shrada shamed at the same time the red stripes were exposed. I didn't expect red stripes to be leading the procession. He cocked his head toward the temple where he described what was happening. The same eight armed men they'd seen earlier marched at the head of a short parade whose focal point was an ornately shrouded litter bearing Albahir's holy book. The tome's container was borne on the shoulders of four priests, at least one of whom reeked oil. Zancha glanced up at the sky. The glimmer moon had risen, but though she knew the habits of the larger moon and its phases, she'd always regarded the smaller moon as a nuisance, sometimes there, sometimes not, never welcome. She didn't know if it rose earlier or later each day and wasn't completely clear on the whole striking its zenith moment that Urza was counting on. They just carry the book out to the dais and carry it back at midnight, a couple thousand paces? You're not hoping for something to happen while they're carrying it, are you? If Radipi had wanted to shame the Shrada, she couldn't imagine anything more effective than having a sleeper collapse while the holy book's litter was sitting on his shoulder. No, Radipi replied, but before he could specify which question he'd answered, the nearest palace gate swung open. More armed and armored red stripes emerged. A sleeper marched in the second octet. He passed so close that Zancha was sure she knew which of the eight it was. A clean-shaven young man, not apparently much older than Radipi, and not handsome either. His mouth and nose were too big for his face, his eyes too small. When he turned and stared, Zancha's blood cooled. She forced her head to remain still and her eyes to lose focus. He might not be able to tell she'd been watching him. Zancha held her breath, too, though he surely was too late. When the octet had passed, she started walking again. The dais was still unburdened when they reached the western plaza where the guild inns, each with little fortresses, stood behind their closed gate walls. Radipi handled negotiations with the guild guards while Zancha watched the procession go round and round the plaza. The joint guild of barbers and surgeons had a room behind the kitchen for which they wanted an exorbitant amount of copper and silver, but not in any of the forms Zancha or Radipi carried it. Fortunately, but not, she suspected coincidentally, there was a money-changer's booth buttered up against the barber's watchtower. Festival robbery, Radipi said dramatically as he collected the devalued worth of a golden ring. Tabarna shall hear of this. Ava here he knows, the money-changer replied, pointing to the lead seals dangling from a silk ribbon overhead. The room behind the kitchen had been let to another traveler. They wound up in a dust-choked garret that Zancha was sure had been home to a flock of pigeons earlier in the day. The food will be good, Radipi promised once they claimed their quarters. Don't say another word. You've been wrong about everything else. If you keep quiet now, the meal may at least be edible. She was jesting, resorting to the rough humor that worked well on the Orin Ridge and floundered here in the city. But the food was good. They devoured roast lamb with sweet herbs, a thick grainy paste that tasted of nuts and saffron, honey-glazed bread, and an overflowing jug of the berry wine served only for the festival of fruits. It wasn't worth the silver they'd paid for it, but it was good nonetheless, and they hauled the remaining wine up to the top of the stairs when they were finished. 
The garret overhung a blind alley, but a bit of acrobatics put them on the roof and gave them one of the better views of the plaza that Pincher had to offer. A breeze stirred the humid air, making it pleasant. In the plaza, Amahir's book remained open on the dais. Redstripe stood guard while priests took turns reciting Shraddha verses from memory, or so Radapi said. Their voices didn't reach the top of the guild inn. The crowd had thinned, and what remained had settled in around ten or fifteen campfires scattered across the cobblestones. Redstripe stood guard outside the palace and the temple. Sancho wondered who held the allegiance of the men who guarded the inns. Not that it mattered overmuch. The sky was open to her sphere if they had to get away in a hurry. This is a good place, she decided. We can see everything that's important, and there's nothing to block the sphere if we need it. We'll watch tomorrow night from here. They stayed on the roof until the temple gong sounded again at midnight, and the Red Stripes escorted the huge holy book into Avahir's sanctuary. What do they do if it rains? Zancha asked as they swung and slipped back to the garret. If the roof had been pleasant, their rented room was a prison. Leaving the windows open had attracted swarms of buzzing, biting insects without improving the air. The excuse for a bed smelled as if the last occupant had been a corpse, and a summertime corpse at that. Zancha seriously considered yawning out the sphere, if only for Radipe's sake. She'd breathed Phyrexian air, the ultimate standard by which foul air could be judged and survived without a wheeze or cough. Poor Radipe was sneezing himself inside and out, short of breath. In the end, they dragged the best of the blankets up to the roof and bedded down beneath the stars. The day they'd been waiting for began before dawn, with more gongs clanging from the temple as the Festival of Fruits started its fourth day. When the city gates opened, the tent encampments disgorged their pilgrims who were, on the whole, far less hardened than the men who held sway in the plaza at night. There were children and flower sellers and all other things Radipe remembered from his own childhood. He coaxed Zancha out of the garret for bowls of berries and a second visit to Avahir's great sanctuary. The line of petitioners waiting for Avahir to dry their tears was prohibitively long, and the cloister passage to the priest quarters and ultimately the crypt where she confronted Gix was closed off and guarded by the burliest red stripes she'd seen since arriving in the city. They glistened with oily sweat, but they weren't Phyrexian. I can't believe they're all gone but the one I sent it last night with the litter, Zancha mused when Radipe had finished taking her on a brief tour of the sanctuary. Maybe Gix had pulled the sanctuary sleepers back, it doesn't take much practice to be a bully like a red stripe, but a priest has to do things right. You put the spiders where they live? I'd feel better if I'd seen that they were still in place. We'll find out soon enough, Radipe replied with the sort of fatalism Zancha herself usually brought to any discussion. They were on the temple porch, looking down at the plaza from a different angle and gazing north at an afternoon storm. It was time for one more bowl of berries before the storm swept over the palace. Zancha was indifferent to sweets, but Radipe would have eaten himself sick. She saw what they did with Avahir's book when it rained. A team of priests, who'd obviously worked together before, scrambled to get the great book closed and covered it with a bleached sail. It's going to get wet and ruined sooner or later, she pointed out as she and Radipe climbed the five flights of narrow, rickety stairs to the garret. Sooner. But isn't it too precious to be mistreated like that? It used to be there was a new book every five years. I think the one they've got is maybe older than that, but... It's not any one specific copy of the book that matters. It's the idea of Avahir's book and the wisdom it contains. When a new book's brought into the temple, the old one is cut up and passed out. Some people say if you burn a piece of the book on New Year's Day, you'll have a better year. But some people, my father for one, kept his scraps in a special box. Radipe fell silent and stared out the window at the rain. Lost? Zancha asked. We brought it with out of the city. I didn't even think about it after the Shraddha. He went back to staring. Should I buy a duck? 
Zantia asked, quite serious. A duck? Six days after the Festival of Fruits, you'll be nineteen. I made sure I remembered. You said your mother roasted a duck. We'll see after tonight. The festival crowds never recovered from their afternoon soaking. Hundreds of effins had returned to their tents beyond the walls, and the rowdy, mean-spirited element took over the plaza long before the midsummer sun was ready to set. Zancha and Ratapi were spotted standing on a roof, silhouetted by the sun. The innkeeper, a man as burly as the sanctuary red stripes, reminded them in no uncertain terms that they'd rented the garret. For an additional two silver bits, they rented the roof as well. The innkeeper offered to send up supper and another jug of berry wine. Zancha had her fill of berries. They ate with the other guests in the commons, another leisurely overpriced meal, then retreated to the roof for the spectacle. The western sky was blazing, and there were two brawls in the plaza, one strictly among the revelers, the other between the revelers and what appeared to be a cornered pair of red stripes. A different, more strident set of gongs was struck, and a phalanx of mounted warriors thundered out of the palace, maces raised and swords drawn. She couldn't decipher the details of the skirmish from the rooftop, but it wasn't long before three corpses were dragged away and a handful of men, bloodied and staggering, were marched into the palace. One of the prisoners wore an empty sword belt. He wasn't a red stripe. That besieged pair had vanished back into the cadres. By his straight posture and arrogant air, even in defeat, the prisoner looked to be a nobleman, the first of that breed Zancha had seen since arriving in Pincher City. The nobleman's appearance crystallized a conclusion that he'd been lurking in Zancha's thoughts. Effin Pincher has lost its leaders, she suggested to Ratapi. Wherever I look, whether it's at the Red Stripes, the Temple, or that mob down there, I don't see anyone taking charge. If there are leaders, they're giving their orders in secret and then watching what happens from a distance, but they're not leading from in front. Ratapi had an explanation for that absence. Effin Pincher's not like Bazarat or Morvern and places like that where every man, woman, and child answers to a lord. Our ancestors left that way behind at the founding. It's written in Avahir's book. We have a season for making decisions, wintertime, when the harvest's been gathered and there's time to sit and talk. Where's your king? Where's Tabarna? When I came here 20 years ago, he was visible. If there'd been riots outside his palace, the way there've been last night and tonight, he'd been out here. If not for him, then someone, a high priest, a nobleman, even a merchant. There were men and women who would speak louder than the mob. Look down there. Folks have been killed and there's no true reaction. There's anger everywhere, but... Nobody's gathering it and turning it into a weapon. Effins aren't sheep. We think for ourselves. Ratapi countered quickly a reply that had the sound of an overlearned lesson. Well, it's strange. Very strange. It's not like anything I've seen before. That doesn't happen very often. And it's not the way Effin Pincher was twenty-odd years ago. Your king or someone would be visible. Effins may not be sheep, Ratapi, but without leaders to stop them, I don't wonder that the Red Stripes and Shrada were able to cause such trouble for you. Are you saying Phyrexians were with the Shrada and the Red Stripes from the start? Ratapi was incredulous, sarcastic, but as soon as Zancha thought about her answer, she realized, Yes, I am. I found Gix in Avihir's crypt, but I probably could have found him in the palace just as easy. Do you think he's still here? He might be. That passageway I saw wasn't like an ambulator. But Gix was too big to chase me up the stairs. If he's here, he's not going to come walking through the sanctuary doors. Ratapi said nothing as the sunset aged from amber to lavender. Then, in little more than a whisper, he said, In the war, Urza and Mishra's war, the Brotherhood of Gix made themselves useful to both sides. They pretended to be neutral. Neither Mishra or Urza questioned them, but they answered to Gix, didn't they? The Gix in Avahir's temple? The Gix who made you? 
he controlled the brotherhood and the brotherhood manipulated the brothers. Abu here, sweet mercy, Gix, the Phyrexians did control that war. Caitlin Big Krug said, never forget the mistakes we made, but she didn't suspect the real rot. His voice trailed off, then returned. It's happening again, isn't it? Here and everywhere. No, nobody's seen it coming. Urza has. Zancha let out a pent-out breath. Urza's mad in a thousand different ways, but he does remember. And he's learned. He knows to fight this war differently. He knows not to make the old mistakes. I've been listening to him, but I wasn't watching him. Urza lies to himself as much as he lies to you or me, but that hasn't stopped him from doing what has to be done. Until now. I I've got to go back, Radipi, after tonight. I've got to find him and tell him about Gix, about the Thran. There's a part of him that needs to know, deserves to know everything that I know. You won't go alone, will you? Effin Pincher's going to need true leaders. True, but for Effin Pincher's sake, Urza needs a Mishra that I can trust. The glimmer moon was the evening star this midsummer season, far brighter than the star Radipi called the Sea Star and Zancha called Barulu. It pierced the deepening twilight like a faintly malevolent diamond. Every world that Zancha remembered, where sentient races came together to talk and create societies, folks looked overhead and recited myths about the stars, the moon, and the wanderers. Gulmany was no exception, but the glimmer moon was. It was bright, it wandered, everybody saw it, everybody knew it, and by some unspoken agreement, nobody included it in their myths. Like a loud, uninvited guest, the glimmer moon was acknowledged across the island with averted eyes and silence. Even knowing what an important part it would play this evening, neither Zancha nor Radipi could look at it for long, and the pall it cast effectively ended their conversation. Other, friendlier stars made their nightly appearance. Abahir's gong clanged to announce the Holy Book's procession from the sanctuary altar to the white-draped dais. Zancha found herself breathing in painful gasps, expecting the spiders to scream while the litter was in transit. She clutched Urza's waxen lumps in her fists and had the mnemonic for his armor on the edge of her mind but the glimmer moon didn't strike its zenith in the night's early hours. She couldn't truly relax after the book was on the dais and the priests had begun to recite whatever passages tradition declared appropriate for the fourth night of the Festival of Fruits. The memory of her one exposure to the spiders kept her nerves jangled. Urza had been steadily increasing the range and power of his tiny artifacts. What if the combination of wax and armor weren't enough? The level part of the roof where they stood was a small square, three paces on a side, twelve in all, which she traced, first to the left, then to the right. Stop pacing, please, Radipi begged. You're making me nervous, and you're making me dizzy. Zancha couldn't stand still, so she slid over the edge of the roof and into the garret, where the usable pacing area was somewhat smaller. She worked up a clinging sweat before thousands of insects got between her ears and her mind. She put the wax plugs into her ears and got Urza's armor out of the cyst within a few heartbeats, but not before she was gasping on the floor. Radipi appeared in the garret window just as she'd recovered enough to stand. He grabbed her hand. Zancha could feel his excitement. But she'd become deaf, even to her own voice. They didn't need words, though, to return to the roof where Radipi's swinging arm showed her where to look for already fallen sleepers. They'd gotten lucky, she thought, observing in sterile silence. Some of the effing red stripes must have known there were Phyrexians within their cadres. How else would it explain the swiftness with which the standing red stripes distanced themselves from their fallen comrades, or, in one instance that unfolded in a torch-lit area in sight of the old guild's roof, turn their weapons on one of their own? From the beginning, Radipi had been concerned with the problem of how unaffected folk might interpret the sleeper's collapse. The issue seemed to be resolving itself more favorably, if also more violently than either he or Zancha dared hope. 
She could see men and women whose mouths were moving, and she wished she could ask Rascopy what they were shouting. Probably she could have asked. It was the hearing of the answer that no wish could grant her. The first of the shatter spires did its damage as section of the Red Stripes barracks collapsed. She could see the destruction from the roof, which was higher than the first of several walls that encircled the palace. The folk in the plaza wouldn't have seen anything, but they might have heard the walls fall or the inevitable shouts and flames poke through the rubble. Overturned lamps and such finished what the shatter spiders had begun. In all, Zancha thought, it was going very well. She was surprised that Ratapi wasn't visibly jubilant. She tried to ask him with gestures in the old hand code that she and Urza had devised and that, lacking foresight of this moment, she failed to teach him. Radipi pointed toward Alvahir's temple, where the Shatter Spiders had yet to produce any obvious damage, and no priests, sleeper, or otherwise were visible in the pools of the torchlight. Could Gix have ordered a search that had removed the handiwork? The Phyrexian presence in Alvahir's temple had been noticeably less tainted with the glistening oil scent when Zancha had made her second visit to Pincher City and all but absent this past afternoon. But if the demon had scoured the temple walls, wouldn't he have checked the Red Stripe Barracks too, or... The plaza itself were complete Phyraxians truly lacking in suspicious imagination. There was a flurry around the dais. The holy readers were no longer reciting, and other priests had joined them, getting in in one another's way as they closed the great book and made haste to get the litter poles beneath it. That would explain Radipi's distress. He didn't want Avahir's book inside the sanctuary when, if, the altar collapsed. But there was more she should worry about. Red-striped cadres spilled from the barracks and the temple, they began ruthlessly to restore order in the swirling crowd. Their only opposition came from those other red stripes who'd turned on the disabled sleepers when the spiders began to scream. It seemed that some of the sleepers and Phyrexians hadn't been affected by Urza's artifacts, or, even more incredibly, that some Ephans had so embraced Phyrexian aspirations that they pursued them even after the Phyrexians had fallen. Sancha grabbed Radipi's sleeve and made him face her. "'What's happening down there?' she demanded. "'Is it over? Can I unplug my ears?' He shrugged helplessly and consumed by frustration, Zancha stuck a finger in one ear. The spiders hadn't stopped screaming, and breaking the seal that protected her from their power was an instant, terrible mistake. Zancha lost all awareness and sense of herself until she was on her back. Radipi knelt over her, pressing his fingers against her ears. One hand was bloody when she felt strong enough to push them both away. Radipi helped her stand. The situation had changed in the plaza. Some of the second wave of red stripes had succumbed to the spiders screaming. They were literally torn apart by the effing mob, and gruesome though it was to watch, it was also instructive. The resistant red stripes were more complete than Zancha or the already fallen sleepers. Beneath their seemingly mortal skins, they had bones of metal, wired sinews and veins that spilled glistening oil onto the cobblestones. The oil did truly glisten in malevolent shades of green and purple until someone discovered as Urza had discovered a very long time ago, that glistening oil burned. A slow-moving question that was not her own passed through Zancha's mind, and Radipi's too. He staggered and might have fallen from the roof if Zancha hadn't grabbed him. Across the plaza, most Effins were not so fortunate, though. They had less far to fall. All of whom Zancha could see shook themselves back to their senses and stood up unharmed. None of the Effins, including Radipi, could know what had happened. But Zancha who knew a demon's touch when she felt it, looked for a strand of ruby-red light and found it sweeping through the smoke above the burning oil. Gix. Zancha's hand rose to her throat. She broke the crystal. Radipi watched her do it. He asked questions she couldn't hear, and she answered with the demon's name. Avahir's sweet mercy. She read the prayer from Radipi's lips. In the plaza, the frantic priests of Avahir had finally slung the litter poles beneath the holy book in position to carry the volume back to the sanctuary. 
That building had still to show any signs of damage from the Shatter Spiders. The sanctuary might not show damage to observers on the Gildan roof. They hadn't expected or intended to bring the great outer walls down, merely the altar and a dormitory cloister behind the sanctuary, and, of course, the spiral stairway down to the crypt. Zanja didn't know whether to relax or ratchet her apprehension tighter when the priest successfully navigated through the plaza throng, and Avahir's holy book disappeared into the sanctuary. Radipi was obviously more anxious, but his lips moved too quickly for her to read his words, even after she asked him to slow down and speak distinctly. Then something happened to make Radipi put his hands over his ears. All across the plaza, Effens, hitherto, unaffected, were reacting to a painful noise. But there were no red stripes, no Phyrexians to take advantage of them. All of them, sleepers and complete, those already dead and those still alive, simply exploded, bursting like sun-ripened corpses. Sound, as Urza had promised, with the power to shake glistening oil until it pulled apart. The glimmer moon had struck its zenith. Everything until that moment had been mere forewarning. Zancha's whole body tingled from the inside out. If Urza's armor failed, she'd be dead before she knew she was endangered. She tried to imagine the scenes in all the other cities where she and Urza had planted the spiders. Born Dominarians on their knees, as Radipi was, perhaps spattered with blood that glistened malevolently in the moonlight, all of them wondering if it was their turn to die. The red-striped barracks collapsed, and through her feet, Zancha heard the ground wail. A cloud of dust as large as the gildan billowed through sanctuary doors and clouds that rose quickly to hide the temple and half the plaza from Zancha's view. When dust had settled some, she and every effin saw that the great dome above the altar and the gong tower, shadows in the night moments earlier, were both missing. From his knees, Radipi lowered his hands and pounded the roof with his fists. A god who couldn't protect his book or his sanctuary was apt to lose the faith of his worshippers. Zanshan didn't know the depth of Radipi's faith, but she guessed it had been shaken to its roof. It was shaken further when an intense red glow filled Alvahir's sanctuary, overflowing through the open doors, the windows, and the roof. Zancha saw the word fire on Radipi's lips, but the light wasn't fire. It was Gix. Zancha broke the chain that held Urza's pendant around her neck. She held the crystal up in the crimson light. Very clearly, it was broken, and just as clearly, Urza wasn't coming. He hadn't said where he'd go watch the Glimmer Moon strike at Zenith. could have gone to the Glimmer Moon itself, or he could have remained in the Orin Ridge Cottage. Or Urza's absence could mean that Gix was not the only demon on Dominaria soil and that Urza was already in a desperate brawl. Urza could walk anywhere, but even he couldn't be in two places at once. The red light within Avahir's sanctuary grew brighter, larger. It fluctuated and emitted serpentine flares that faded slowly into the night. The smell of Phyrexia grew steadily stronger. Zancha imagined Gix burning and battering his way up from the catacombs. She wondered if he had the power to destroy a city and didn't doubt for a heartbeat that the demon would, if he could. There was nothing Zancha could do to stop Gix, and until she was sure that the spiders were exhausted, there was nothing she dared do to spirit herself and Radipi away. Vast crimson fingers leapt from the roofless sanctuary. They soared into the sky, then arched toward the plaza. Looking up, Zancha and everyone else saw that the fingers were hollow, filled with darkness, and fanged like serpents. The darkness resembled the upright passageway to Phyrexia that she'd seen in the crypt. Zancha feared they'd all be sucked into the fourth sphere. Radipi put his arms around her, and Zancha wrapped hers around him. She wanted to feel his warm, mortal flesh within her fingers, and wouldn't have cared if the spiders killed her, except that she wouldn't force Radipi to watch her die. She saw a ribbon of silvery light emerge from the center of the palace. 
Diving and soaring, the palace light pierced each serpent and drew them all together with a choking knot before dragging them over the north wall and out to sea. Zancha shouted, Urza! at Ratapi, who needed a few more heartbeats before he could shape his lips around the name. Gix fought back, but as Zancha had always suspected, Urza was more than a match for a Phyrexian demon or a Thran one. Neither duelist was visible from the plaza or the roof, though they each knew exactly where the other was. They fought with light and fire, with artifacts and creatures that defied naming in any language Zancha knew. Gix would have lost quickly if the demon had not aimed most of his destruction at the effing survivors in the plaza and thereby forced Urza to defend the innocent. Then Urza loosed two weapons at once, bolts of lightning to counter Gix's last cowardly thrust, and a dragon shaped like the one he'd ridden into Phyrexia, but shaped from golden light. Stars shone through the dragon's wings, but its power was anything but illusory. A jet of intense blue fire shot from its mouth as it began a stoop that would take it into Gix's sanctuary lair. Gix didn't die fighting, nor did he retreat to Phyrexia. Instead, he abandoned Pincher City altogether, a relatively small green-gold streak racing to the south, a half-breath ahead of the dragon's flames. Zancha expected the dragon to pursue Gix over the horizon, but it continued its stoop into the ruined sanctuary. She braced herself for the physical shockwave of a crash that never came. A heartbeat, then another, and the dragon lifted into flight again, showing first its wings, then its spidery torso, and at last collapsed in a pair of legs, a book that recently had seemed very large and now looked quite small. The dragon beat its translucent wings twice for altitude, then it stooped again and set the Avahir holy book on the battered dais before climbing back into the sky. The dragon circled out to sea, Avahir's home according to myth, and the Effin still standing, including Radipi, set up a cheer in its wake. But Urza wasn't finished. He brought the dragon back. Zancha would have sworn he shrank it just a bit, too, for a gentle glide over the palace roofs. Through its bright, shifting light, Zancha wasn't sure if it had picked something up until it was almost overhead, and she could see a frail old man getting the ride of his life. It was a miracle of another sort that Tabarna's heart didn't fail before the dragon set him down beside Avahir's book. The dragon flew straight up after that and disappeared among the stars. The Effins who cheered the survival of their book went wild when they saw their king. Zancha couldn't get Radipi's attention no matter how hard she pounded his back or how loudly she shouted, Is it over? Can I release Urza's armor? Yes, it's over, Zancha. Urza's voice spoke to Zancha's thoughts. You heard, she replied, releasing the armor and pulling the wax out of her ears. You came! The cheers of the crowd after toll of silence were as deafening as the spiders. Zanja had trouble hearing Urza when he said, still in her mind, I've been here all along, keeping my eyes on Gix. I didn't want to frighten you. Waste not want not. How long had Urza known? Zanja hadn't kept her thoughts private. Urza pulled the question from her mind and answered it. Since the priest in the orchard, I went back to all the haunted places. I, I saw how the Phyrexians had crept into my world again. I found Tabarna in a cell beneath the palace. He was quite mad, but still himself. The Phyrexians needed to trot him out periodically, and they could only do what they did to Mishra because he carried the weak stone. So I stole Tabana from them and hid him on another plane. And that, I confess, was the act that brought Gix here to Pincher City. Since then, everything I've done, everything I've had you do, has been building towards this moment. I healed Tabana. Madness, you know, sinks deep roots in a man's soul once he's seen sights and thoughts no man should ever see or think. There are some moments he'll never remember again. Moments such as I wish I could forget, Zancha. The Shrada could not be deceived, so they were killed while Tabana watched. But he'll live another ten years and sire another son or two. I guarantee it. 
Zancha had warned her slave, assume that if you've thought about it, Urza knows it. Then she had failed to remember her own advice. You've had reason to be suspicious, Zancha. There's never been anyone who could do for me what I've done for Dabana. Urza was on the roof with them, looking very ordinary. He had no trouble getting Ratapi's attention, but was unprepared when Ratapi threw himself into a joyous, tearful embrace. The affection Effens had for their elderly king, whose speech none of them could have hoped to hear through their shouting, was nothing Zancha wanted to understand, though it was also clear that Urza had done exactly what was necessary to ensure that the realm would recover from its long battering. Zancha stood a bit apart from Ratapi and Urza, giving herself a few moments to consider all that she'd just learned. She stayed apart when Urza extended his hand. What happens next? She demanded, thinking deliberately of Gix. I go to Koilos. She folded her arms. Not alone. Not if you're going after Gix. Urza frowned, then sighed. No, I suppose not. He turned to Ratapi. And you, brother, I suppose you'll want to come too. <laughs>